Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with our listeners once again. Such a privilege, such a blessing to be able to be with you each day here on Search the Scriptures. Open up God's Word, dig a little bit deeper, learn a little bit more. We really do pray that we're helping you come closer to God by going through His Word and looking at it in depth and in detail and helping you to understand it better, more clearly helping you understand what God wants from you in your life, how he wants you to walk with him, to come to him, to obey him. You know, he sent his son into this world, Jesus Christ, to become man while still being fully divine and to be that perfect one-time-for-all-time Savior, to go to that cross and die thereon to be the perfect sacrifice to cover the guilt of our sins, your sins, my sins, the sins of all mankind for all time. God loves us that much. That's what John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The perfect Savior, the perfect sacrifice. And there could be no sacrifice that would be sufficient because no animal could be that perfect sacrifice. No other human being, that would be sacrilegious, that would be heathenistic to sacrifice human beings to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Humans are made in the image, the likeness of God. But God sent the perfect sacrifice, the one who is above all mankind, Jesus Christ, his son. And in sending him to go to that cross, God showed us in an undeniable way his love for us. God loves you that much. So if you're thinking, I'm just no good, I'd not worth anything. God sent his son to die for you. You have the opportunity to come to him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, if you'll repent and come to him through Jesus Christ, confessing him as your Lord and Savior and God's Son, repenting of your sins, surrendering to him in baptism, the blood that he shed on the cross will cleanse you of the guilt of your sins at that point. And you will have come to God through Christ, his Son, your Lord and Savior. And God will adopt you as his child. You'll be a part of his family. You'll be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. You'll be a Christian. You'll be saved. And you'll have the, the promise as long as you'll walk with him faithfully, obediently, according to his teachings and God's word, you'll have the promise of eternal life with him in heaven. What a blessing. What a blessing. We want to help you get there, get to heaven. Now, at the end of the program, as we always do, we'll tell you how to contact us. Have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready and write down that information and then contact us. Ask for the free Bible study that we always offer. Ask for a copy of today's program on CD. All of it is free. 
and we'll take care of the postage. All you have to do is ask. It can change your life for eternity. So have that, pizza, uh, that pencil or pen and piece of paper ready and write down that information in just a little while. Now, we're going to get back into our study talking about a very special kind of love, and that's agape love. As we said, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the Greek language in which it was written had a number of different words that referred to different forms or different kinds or degrees of love. The very highest form of love was identified by the word agape, and it is a love that is not based primarily upon, and it is not driven primarily by emotion. Now, there's nothing wrong with emotion that leads us initially into a loving relationship that develops into marriage. But that kind of love has to become something deeper, fuller, richer, more profound than just emotional love in order for the marriage relationship to become all that it can be, to be fulfilled and to be sustained on an ongoing basis as long as you live. And there's where agape love really comes in and plays a part. Agape love in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses uh, chapter 13 verses 1 through 3, the apostle Paul talks about how this love is not empty noise. It's not flamboyant or ostentatious. It is not just an outward show meant to impress people, but it's genuine. Again, it's the highest form of love. It is not based primarily upon emotion. Now, I believe all love has some aspect of emotion kind of interwoven within it, but this is a love that, that is far beyond that. It is not based on the worthiness of the one loved or the attractiveness of the one loved, but it is based on the determination in the heart of the one doing the loving. Agape love cannot be earned. It is freely given. It is unconditional. It quietly hangs in there and does what needs to be done no matter what. And you don't fall into this kind of love. You don't fall out of this kind of love. That's, again, more of an emotional kind of love. This is a whole lot deeper, more profound than that. This is a love wherein you make up your mind to love your husband, to love your wife, no matter what. And let me emphasize again, no matter what. This is what the emotional love that started the relationship really needs to develop into for that marriage to be all that it can be, to be fulfilled and to be sustained for life. Now, we've already looked at a number of the qualities in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through the first part of verse 8 that Paul listed. He actually listed in that short text there 16 different positive qualities of agape love. Now, I know he's not addressing this primarily to the marriage relationship. He's talking about what agape love is. But if we will take these principles and we will apply them to our marriage, 
Oh, my, how wonderful our marriage will be. Now, you talk about a rich, fulfilling, sustaining love in that marriage. It will be there. And I can almost guarantee you that marriage will not fail. If both the husband and the wife will develop this kind of love. First, Paul says that this kind of love suffers long. And he's talking about patience. He's talking about endurance, determined endurance. He says this kind of love is kind. It is good-natured in general, uh, gentle. It is not sour or ill-natured or ill-tempered, and it does not respond in those ways even in the face of provocation. It's kind, and that kindness can be sustaining and nurturing. This kind of love does not envy, he says. You don't envy your spouse. That does not show love at all. It does not parade itself. That is, it is not bragging and flaunting in front of your husband or your wife. This love is not puffed up with ungodly pride or arrogance. This kind of love does not behave rudely. Oh, how many marriages are hurt and even destroyed by haughty rudeness that is shown on the part of either the husband or the wife, or in some cases, maybe on the part of both the husband and the wife. So love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. The seventh quality Paul lists, love does not seek its own. We have some problems with this, don't we? Because we're kind of We're always thinking about me, my, mine. We have eye trouble, don't we? I want this. I think this. Well, that's not what this kind of love really reflects. In 1 Corinthians Corinthians, uh, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we want to look at verse 24. And here the Apostle Paul writes this. Let no one seek his own, but each other, each one the other's well-being. Now this really is a principle that needs to be implemented and carried forth on a consistent basis within the marriage relationship. You don't just think about yourself. You don't just think about, well, what do I want? I like this. I want to do this. But you think about What does my wife want? What does my husband want? What does he like? What does she like? You have to think about them. You need to think about them. And in showing that kind of love toward them, they're going to reciprocate that toward you. They're going to care about you. They're going to feel loved. And they're going to want you to feel loved. It is not selfish about one's own desires, but it sees to the good of all, and in this case particularly, to your spouse, to your husband, or to your wife. Be willing to sacrifice some of your ambitions, some of your desires, some of your likes and wants for the good of your husband or your wife. Don't always insist on getting your way. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now take that principle and apply it to your marriage relationship. Don't just look out for your own interests. Don't just be thinking about yourself. That's kind of self-centered, isn't it? Self-serving, maybe even greedy. Well, think about your wife. Think about your husband. What would she like? What would he like? And in doing that, you'll probably find out that you'll feel good about how you have just, if you want to look at it as sacrifice, but it's not really sacrificing. It's just you want to take care of them. You want to make them happy. And you'll find that they, in turn, will want to make you happy as well. So this kind of love does not seek its own. Agape love is not provoked, is the next principle. That is, it is calm, it is patient, it is not easily aroused to anger and hostility. <laughs> you know, there are husbands and wives, and in some cases, in some marriages, there are both husband and wife who will fight at the drop of a hat. Oh, they're ready to get into an argument. They're ready to get into a conflict, into a confrontation, into a full-blown fight. And in many cases, it becomes physical. That ought never be characteristic of the love between a husband and wife. Never. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. In verse 46, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors or the sinners do the same? So you say, well, you don't know what he's like. You don't know what she's like. Well, as I said earlier in this particular study, Maybe he or she, in their behavior toward you, is simply a reflection of your behavior toward him or her. Maybe you're simply seeing them reflect back in their behavior toward you how you have been acting toward them. Now, that can be a sobering thought, can't it? Now, I know that's not always the case, but in a lot of cases, it is. But think about how... A calm response, a calm approach, how patience, how the refusal to become angry in response to your husband's anger or your wife's anger toward you on that particular occasion, in that particular moment. See, think about how that can diffuse that whole situation. Be a moderating influence, not an instigator. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, we read this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, I knew a husband and wife. They'd get into a conflict. They'd get into an argument, I guess, a fuss. And one of them would pout for days on occasion. What in the world does that accomplish. And how in the world does that reflect godliness 
in the way you're acting or reacting. So do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Don't hold on to, don't harbor anger toward your spouse, nor give place to the devil. Verse 27, if you're holding on to anger, if you're harboring anger, resentment toward your husband or your wife, you have automatically opened the door of your heart to the devil. You've let him come into your life, to your thinking, to your heart. You don't want that. Put him away. Keep him away. In chapter 6 and verse 4, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, or the instruction and discipline of the Lord. So many times, without even realizing it, we can be provocative in our marriage relationship. Don't let that happen to you. Don't be provocative. Stop and think before you speak and act. Make sure your brain is in gear before your mouth goes into action. But also, stop and think before you act, before you do something that causes harm to your husband or your wife and to your relationship with him or her. In Psalm 37, Psalm 37 and verse 8, the psalmist wrote this. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. That means put it away from you. Stay away from it. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Tell me what good an angry argument between a husband and wife ever did for their marriage. Tell me, if you can think of it. In Proverbs chapter 15, Proverbs chapter 15, and verse 1, the wise man wrote this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So many arguments would be prevented. So many fights would never happen if simply one or the other, instead of responding in kind, would simply be kind and speak a soft word of love or just kind of toning down the whole situation and refuse to become angry in response to the anger of their husband or their wife. This kind of love, agape love, is not provoked. Be a moderating influence, not an instigator. Agape love thinks no evil. It does not think the worst of others, and it does not keep a record of things that were wrong or that were evil that were done. You know, there are husbands and wives who have a catalog of things that they believe were done to them in their relationship way back. It might go back in some cases 10, 15, 20 years. They've got them cataloged. They've put them on a shelf. And then when they get into a fuss with their husband or their wife, they start pulling them off the shelf. You remember when you did such and such? Yeah, I remember you said such and such. When did I say that? It was 10 years ago. 
And they just keep pulling that all that dirt off the shelf and throwing it back in their spouse's face. Agape love thinks no evil. It doesn't keep a record of evil done. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. You've got to let go of all of that old baggage. As does God, forgive and forget. Don't keep digging up the dirt of the past. Where would you be? Where would you be if God kept a record of all of the things that you have done wrong before he forgave you through the blood of Christ. Now, of course, that assumes you have been baptized into Christ. And the blood that he shed on the cross cleansed you of the guilt of your sins. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. But once that is done, once God has forgiven you, do you want him to keep cataloged all of those sins he's forgiven you of? Of course not. And he says, I will not. Remember those things. They're done. That record is washed clean. I remember those sins no more. Why? That's what we want. And that's what you should want to exhibit to your husband or your wife. Don't keep pulling the dirt off the shelf. In Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17, we read this. Then he adds, that is God speaking, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. When God forgives, he forgives, and he puts it away. If I understand correctly, the, the idea of remission of sins in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 it is the idea that the slate is wiped completely clean. There is no more remembrance of those sins. When the person has been forgiven by God, it's gone. It's absolutely gone. Let go of the old dirt, the old baggage. As you want God to forgive you, you forgive your husband or your wife. Our time is just about up, so we've got to stop and park here. We'll come back and we'll continue this, and we've gotten a long way through these 16 qualities. In fact, we've gone through nine of them already. So we'll come back and we'll pick up with number 10 next time. Now, when you hear the information as to how to contact us, write that down and then contact us. Ask for the free Bible study. Ask for today's program on CD. We want to send these materials to you for free and we'll take care of the postage. We hope to hear from you right away.